And I was asking this of myself last year, but I ask you of this this year, what do you see? What, what do you see? And I'm not talking like what do you see, as in you see a, a very good-looking young pastor on the stage. Chris Tapper's getting a prophecy a little bit later. Um, I'm, not, I'm not talking about that, but what do you see? What do you see? Some of you are like, I see going to work tomorrow. <laughs> How many people are already back at work? How many people are not back at work? How many people this week, because you're not back at work, we're laughing at those that are back at work? I'm not talking about what you see right in front of your face, but what do you see? What do you see? What do you see when you close your eyes? What do you see? You see, I've been doing this uh, reading plan that Dave Morgan invited me to do. It's called, yeah, it's called 30 Day Shred. And in and, and 30 days, you read the whole entire Bible in 30 days. There's something ridiculous like about 44 chapters a day that you have to go through. And Dave invited me to it and I, I said yes and then had major regrets as soon as I said yes. But now because I said yes, I have to follow it through. And, 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 and one day was just virtually the whole book of Leviticus. Have you ever read Leviticus? Do you realize that they have offerings where they throw guts up in the air and wave them around? And it's just, we're not doing that kind of offering this morning. But it's just like, you know, you're just, it's a hard slog for it. But I tell you what, it has done something for me to, to I think we're up to just read Ezra and Nehemiah this morning. And, and it's done something on the inside of me where I'm starting to see things that I wouldn't have seen if I read through it you know, like one chapter at a time, it's, it's amazing how much of the big picture you start to see of what God's trying to do when you read the whole thing and you can just see this thing popping up. And, and it started to really speak to me about me, but also about us. But also there's this one piece of scripture that really stood out to me and you probably heard it before, but I, I want to talk to you through this this morning to help you to see what it is that God wants you to see for not just this year, but maybe for the next 10 years of your life. And in Genesis 13, it says this, it said, the Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had separated from him. Now we have to understand that Abraham and Lot went out together. They were, they were really, really good friends. They were like best friends. Lot was his nephew, but they were best friends. They were doing everything together. They prospered together. Or they were doing great, but they got to this point where they were so big, each of them, that their, their herdsmen, their their people started fighting with each other over the different ground and the different areas. And, and so they're about to have basically a punch-up, really, between the two families. And, and Abraham said, look, I don't want that. How about you go your way, I'll go my way, but you choose where you want to go, and then I'll, whatever direction you go in, then I'll go in the opposite direction. And just a little side note there, it says that Lot chose for himself, which is always the problem for most of us when God gives us an option, we tend to choose for ourselves instead of choosing what he wants. Lot chose for himself and ended up in Sodom and Gomorrah and had an absolute nightmare of a time and his wife turned into a pillar of salt because he chose for himself. If we choose for God, we never have to suffer the consequences of choosing for ourselves, but that's a side note. And so we're in this moment where he has just parted, he's... He's in a space where he had a vision or he had a thought of how he thought things were going to be between him and Lot. And now 
they've separated. And, and I don't know about you, but I have plans of what I think is going to happen in my life. How many people have plans of what you think is going to happen? How many people know that your plans get shafted? Should I put it that way? It, it, it never turns out how you think it is because we don't allow for things that happen along the way and we think that it's going to happen in a particular way and then we think God's forsaken us because it didn't happen how we thought it should happen because somehow we think that we know best. And, and so, so Abraham's in this moment of just going, man, this is not working out how I thought. And then God says to him, lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward, all of the land which you see I'll give to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. God gives Abraham an incredible promise in, in a point where he's probably losing vision because it's not panning out how he thought it was going to pan out. And he's obviously got his head down, probably in a state of like, this is just not working out how I thought. And God says to him, hey, Abraham, lift up your eyes and see all of this land I'm going to give you. You see, it's so important that we see the right things because whatever you see is what you possess. And what you possess is what you see. And so if you're possessing things that you don't want, it's because you're looking at the things that you don't need. Where you look is where you end up. It's not God's fault. It's not your parents' fault. It's not your next-door neighbor's fault. It's not the boss's fault. It's not the youth pastor's fault. If you're not looking in the right place, you'll end up in the wrong place. Where you look is where you'll end up. What you see is what you'll possess. And whatever you don't see is what you won't possess. You see, life throws at us curveballs, yeah? It throws stuff at us that we don't expect to happen, where we don't expect those things to happen. And so it can shake us off. It can knock us off the horse, if you want to put that way, or knock us off the balance beam. And, and all of a sudden, our vision gets blurry because it's not working out how we planned it to be. And Here's the thing, God wants you to see what he has for you, but the enemy wants to give you a nightmare vision. He wants to show you all the things that are going bad, all the things that are going wrong, all the things that aren't happening. That's why I love Joseph so much, because he was able to see past the nightmare of being in prison and being accused of things to be able to see what God had planned. He said, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. And because of the bad that happened, I'm now in the place that I'm in to save the world. He had this ability to see past. And so the enemy wants to give you a vision of all the things that are going wrong to knock you off balance so that you focus on those things and where you look is where you end up. Instead of looking to what he has for you. And so we get into this fight where you actually have to fight for sight. You have to fight to see what it is that God has planned for you because if you're like me, my, the amount of negative thoughts and, you know, I don't know about you, but maybe you're not like this. Maybe it's just me, but, you know, if I have to go into a situation which I think might be a little bit difficult or a little bit testing, I, I've pre-planned how that's going to pan out. Some of you on your drive home are like, when I left this morning, 
she wasn't very happy. So when I get home, I'm going to walk in the door and I'll say this, and then you have pre-planned the fight that you didn't need to have, but because you were looking for it, you ended up at it. Are you with me? Come on. And so we can get to this place where we're having to fight to see. And, and I want to encourage you this morning that instead of looking at what's going wrong, we need to see what God has promised. We need to see that God is with us. We need to see that his resources are flowing towards us. We need to see the lost coming to Christ. We need to see the sick healed. We need to see the barren woman give birth because where we look is where we end up. And we're going to fight for the right to see. Because the children of Israel had an ability to see. They were, they were saved out of Egypt and they're going through the promised land and uh, going through the wilderness. And God says, we want to take you into the promised land. And he sends in spies, 12 of them, 10 and 2, 2 positive, 10 negative. 10 come back and say, hey man, we, we can't go in there. We're like grass, grasshoppers in their eyes. We're, we're just insignificant. They'll squash us like a bug. The other two were like... It's the Lord's given it to us. Let's go forth. I had no, their, their sight was fixed on God's promise. The other 10 sight was fixed on the problems. What could go bad? What could go wrong? They saw themselves as going to be victims. We are grasshoppers. They saw themselves as slaves. They saw themselves as victims. Why? Because they'd spent the last however hundreds of years in Egypt as slaves. And, and they were so stuck in a mindset of victimness, so stuck in a mindset of being a slave, that even when God comes and promises them, even when God parts the Red Sea for them to walk through, even when God provides manna from heaven fresh every single day, and, and quail and all that sort of stuff, how many people here are like, man, if God would just produce my meals for me fresh every day, I just open up the front door and there's dinner. How many people want that? And then they grumble and they complain. Oh God, what are you doing this to us? We'll be better off back in Egypt where we could have lentils. I mean, they're basically living off the miraculous, but they couldn't see the promised land. They couldn't see what God was doing because they were so stuck in a mindset of victim, so stuck in a mindset of being a slave that they literally thought they'd be better off going back to Egypt to slavery than stepping into the promised land. And then God turns around and says to them, because of that, you're not going to see it. And what should have been an 11-day walk through the wilderness took 40 years. Because he said, that whole generation with your mindset of being a slave, of being a victim... You, you all have to die because you can't enter in tomorrow's blessings with yesterday's mindsets. Some of you are holding on to 2019. 2020 won't be any, any different for you if you don't let go of 2019. You can't step into this year while you're holding on to last year. Are you with me this morning? They had the wrong sight. They couldn't break their old mindsets and it stopped them from entering into the promise that God had for them. The generation that came after them, however, was the generation that grew up in the miraculous. They were the generation that opened their tent every morning and saw dinner prepared. 
They're the ones that saw the Red Sea. They're the ones that saw the, the fire by night and the cloud by day. They were the ones that saw all the miraculous things that God did. They were the ones that saw God taking care of them. And all they had been hearing the whole time, probably from Joshua and Caleb, was like, we're going into the promised land. We're going into the promised land. We just need 10 more people to die, and we're going into the promised land. That last one, can someone just shove a pillow over his face? We need to go into the... That All they had drummed into them was all the stories of how God rescued them out of Egypt and how God's taking them into the promised land. And so their mindset was not a victim mindset. Their mindset was a promised mindset. Their mindset was like, God's going to do this for us. God's going to do this for us. They carried and possessed the promise of God in their hearts and their minds before they ever possessed it in the natural. They carried it in their hearts and in their minds before they even saw it in the natural, and that's how the kingdom of God operates when it comes to how you see. Faith is the substance of things hopeful, the evidence of things unseen. You have to be able to see how God sees so that you can step into all that he has for you. But my question for you is they're carrying the promise on the inside of them. What are you carrying on the inside of you? Because if you're carrying victim, if you're carrying slave, friend, you will end up where you Look, when we see the promise of God and the word of God, and when we see it, when it starts to come out as we read his word and it starts to jump out off the pages and we start to see the promises of God come alive on the inside of us, that's when we start to see how God wants us to see. In Psalm 118 verse 130, it says, The entrance of your words give light. It gives understanding to the simple. I'll read that again for you. The entrance of your words, whose words? God's words. Give light. It gives understanding to the simple. In other words, he's saying that God's word brings light. God lights up your world. When his word gets on the inside of you, you start to see things that you have not seen before. Because you can't find things in the dark, but when the light comes on, you start to be able to see the things that God has for you. It's impossible for the human eye. If you were in a pitch black, blacked out room, and there's no way of any light coming in there, and I told you that there was, um, I don't know, what something that you might want. There was a isolate steak wrapped in bacon with a red wine jus in the, you know, in the room, you wouldn't be able to see it. You'd be going around trying to find your way to it, but as soon as the light comes on, you're going to see it, and then you're going to feast on that, yes? Unless you're a vegetarian, so they will say tofu and something or other. It's impossible to see in the dark with the human eye. It's only possible to see when the light is on, and when the light comes on, you can see clearly. And what happens in our walk with Christ is we have those moments when the light comes on, doesn't it? I call them the aha moments. Those are the moments where you go, oh, oh, that's what he means. Oh, that's why that happened. Oh, now I see what God was doing. What I found in all my aha moments in my life is it's usually preceded by a word from God that helps me to see the situation. It's the word of God illuminates what I've just gone through, and I'm like, oh, now I can see what it is 
that God was trying to do. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul has a prayer for the Ephesian church, but it's so relevant to us today as well. And he says this, that, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. Why does he want your eyes of your understanding enlightened? So that you understand what he's about to say here that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power, and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all all things, how many things? All things under his feet, and he gave him to be the head over all things, to be the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And what he's saying is that I want you, your eyes to open, I want you to be enlightened so you can see how mighty, how victorious, how big our God is, that everything is under his feet, and he has put the church in the same place. What's the church? It's you and I, it's not the building. It's the people inside the building. Everything is under our feet as well. And God is saying, I need you to see how I see you. And I pray that your eyes will be enlightened so that you'd see who you are in him. Because when you understand who you are, then you can see in the right direction. And Paul is saying here, man, I want you to open your eyes. I want your eyes to be open. He's not talking about your natural eyes. He's talking about your spiritual sight to be able to see what God sees, to see his presence, to see his power, to see his promises, to see that with God all things are possible, to see that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, to see that the days ahead of you are greater than the ones behind you, to see that God has a plan and a purpose for your life, that you were created with a powerful destiny, to see that Jesus has overcome it all, to see that you're seated with him in heavenly places and above every principality and power in anything that may come against you. He's saying, oh, that your eyes would be enlightened to see. To see who you are. You see, you can't see the promises of God with the natural eye. You only see with the eyes of faith. God's promises don't just automatically happen on their own. They have to be seen. You you can't just sit back and go, oh, there's a great promise of God. Hopefully it'll turn up one day in my life. You have to see it and you have to go after it because when you see them, then you will head in its direction. Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the... So here's Abraham in his moment. His eyes are down. Lot has left. They've just had a fight. It's not going how I had panned it out. And then the word of the Lord comes and says, hey, lift up your eyes and see. Lift up your eyes and see. See, Abraham couldn't see it until God spoke it. And you won't see what God has for you until you let the word speak to you. You cannot... Step into the promised land 
or step into the promises that God has you if you haven't heard the word that will open your eyes to see what God has. And too many Christians I know are hoping that the promises come to pass, but they never pick up their Bible. They never read it. They never get into God's word. And then they say things like, can you pray for me? I really want God to speak to me. God will speak to you every single day if you pick up the word and read it. The word is a living, it's alive and active, and every verse has his voice. See, Abraham couldn't see. He's got his head down, and then the word of the Lord came, and oh, now I can see. As he started to see, because the word spoke to him, he started to step into the promises that God has for him. We've got to feed on his word, meditate on his promises, and then you'll begin to start to see what God has for you. In this last, what is it, 11 days that I've been doing this 30-day shred, I'm starting to see things that I've never seen before of what God has. I've seen that King David, who is a man after God's own heart, even though we completely stuff things up, God still was for him. I'm beginning to see that even in a world where king after king after king after king did evil on the side of the Lord, that a young king called Josiah, who was just a kid, turns around and goes, whoa, hold on. We're going in the wrong direction. Pulled down all the, all the idol worship, pulled down the high places and turned an entire nation back to God. I'm seeing that there's no such thing as hopelessness. God always has a plan. You start to see what God has. You start to understand what he's doing. And, you know, I I did quite a few flights last year. And I was coming into one place where I was flying and there's a bit of fog. And and I'm looking and the fog is quite thick. And I'm like, how is the pilot going to land the plane? Because I can't see the runway. Anybody have one of their moments where you start to have a bit of panic? Like, I know we're descending, but how, how far from the ground are we? You know, and you've got the little thing up on the screen in front of you that's telling you how far you are off the ground, and you still can't see it. What does a pilot do when he's in the midst of a storm or a foggy thing where he can't see? What he does is he, he looks down at his instruments, and his instruments tell him where he is, where he is located. You see, when you can't see what God is doing, the way to locate what God is doing is through this instrument called the Word of God. Because when you can't see, it sees for you. In Mark chapter 4, there's a story of the disciples. I'll finish on this this morning. And they're in a storm. The thing you've got to understand about the disciples is that they knew storms. They were fishermen. They were very, very familiar with the storms on the Sea of Galilee. They, they knew what was a safe storm and what was not a safe storm. And it says in verse 38 of chapter 4, it says, But he was, it's Jesus, was in the stern asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, Do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Can I, can I show you something in that story 
which I think is right for me and I think is right for you, why we don't see God doing stuff in the middle of our storms, because we see him as teacher, not the word. They said, teacher. Aren't you afraid that we're going to die? See, sometimes I think we come to church and we come here to be taught. We understand that he's the teacher. He teaches us how to live right. He teaches us how to raise our children. He teaches us how to have a good marriage. He teaches us around our finances. But he's not teacher, he's word. I think too many Christians know him as teacher, but they don't know him as the word of God. John chapter 1 says that he is the word and was in the beginning. He is the word. It's not, the, the word of God is not, it's not letters on pages. It's God. It's Jesus. It's the word. It's alive. It's living. It's active. The Bible is not there to teach me. The Bible is there for the word of God to get inside of me. And when they saw the word operate, and when they saw that the word had authority over the elements, they discovered that the word of God can exercise power over the elements. And then they realized that the word of God triumphs over everything. But when we see him as teacher, we never see him as the word. And it's the word that will cause us to see our situations and cause us to triumph over them, not the teacher. It's the word of God. It's his word. If you see hopelessness or, or lack or struggle, then it's an indicator that you're believing a word that's not the word of God. If, if you just see this is a hopeless situation, then you're hearing a word that's not the word of God. Because the word of God in the storm says, peace be still. The word of God says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And then when I get to the top of the mountain, I see that goodness and mercy has followed me all the days of my life. The word of God doesn't see in Job his family being killed and everything being taken away from him. The, the word of God says, though he slay me, I still follow him. Because he knew that even though this crisis was going around him, even though this tragedy was happening, he saw God as restorer. He saw God as savior. He saw God as his Lord. And he trusted him. And in time, God restored back to Job twice of what he lost. But if you see him as teacher, you'll never see him as the word. And the disciples were in a panic because they saw him as teacher because they didn't know him as the word of God. And I'm not saying that if you get into the Word of God that your life won't lack struggles or be void of challenges. What I'm saying is this, is that in the times of testing, in those difficult seasons, as we start to go through them, you cannot afford to limit your sight to the appearance of your circumstances. You can't afford to limit your sight to the appearance of your circumstances. Because if you look at your circumstances, it looks like God isn't with you. If you look at your circumstances, it looks like my friendship with Lot is over. When I look at my circumstances, it looks like my future is over because Lot's not with me anymore. But he said, Abraham, lift up your eyes and see. You see, the problem with our eyes is our eyes tend to settle. They, they, they tend to descend upon what is convenient, easy, and risk-free. We do. I'd say that about me. It's like, 
there's, that's a difficult way. Oh, here's an easy way. My, my, I don't know about you. Maybe it's just me because you guys are so awesome. But I will always, in the natural, deflect to whatever is easy. Come on. I have this great thing, work smarter, not harder. I use that as an excuse to be lazy sometimes and take the easy route because I want to be smarter, not harder. But he, here's the thing. We, we tend to look for the easy way out rather than pushing through to the other side. And when a plane goes through the sound barrier, if it doesn't push through the sound barrier, stays in the middle of the sound barrier, then that plane will shake apart to pieces. And so what we tend to do is we tend to back off because it's easier. And God's saying, no, 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 what do you see? Because on the other side of the sound barrier, on the other side of this testing, on the other side of this difficulty, on the other side of the circumstance, on the other side of Jericho is the promised land. On the other side. But if you don't see it, you'll give up in the midst of it. See, God is challenging us, I believe, to lift up our eyes and see See that there is more. See that there is so much more for you. See that God has got something for you. I believe that this year God is going to help us as a church to see what God has for us. It's scary when you start to see what God has because when God shows you what he has planned for you, it doesn't equate you as part of the solution to what it is that God wants to accomplish. As he turns around and says, I'll do it, you just follow. And the reason why we back off is because we think it's up to us to do. You know, there's this great old hymn, well, great old chorus that goes a little bit like this. And if you're old enough, you'll know what I'm talking about. We used to sing it when I was little. And it was this, trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And all the way through that Old Testament that I've read so far, God rocks up, says, hey, here's the word of the Lord for you. If you do this, it'll go well for you. If you do that, it won't turn out well for you. But I've just told you, you tell that to Moses, then Moses goes to the Israelites. The Lord just spoke to me. It's like a little bit repetitive here, God. If we do this, good things will happen. If you do that, bad things will happen. And you know why bad things happen in the Old Testament to people? Because they didn't trust and obey. Even though the word of the Lord came to them and said, hey, go in this direction. It'll be good for you. It'll work out. You may have some battles to fight. You may have to get past the Amalekites and the Philistines and, and, and all those guys, the Jebusites, the Hittites, and if I'm really corny, the Vegemites. But if you go in this direction, it'll work out well for you. And then what do they do? Because that's hard, they don't do what he says. They go in the direction he tells them not to go in. And then they start to cry because what happens is they end up in slavery because instead of doing what God said, they chose for themselves, they ended up in slavery. And then they cry out to God, oh, we're in slavery. God, help us, help us, help us. So then God rocks up, helps them out. They follow him for a period of time until it starts to get tough again. 
And then they go back to their own ways, end up back in slavery again, cry out to God, help us, help us, help us. God rocks up, helps them. They follow him for a period of time until they start to choose for themselves again. Are you getting the picture? And as I read that, I thought, oh, that's me. If I'm honest this morning, it's me and it's you. His word says, hey, if you do this, it'll go well for you. And so we do that for a period of time until it starts to get tough. And then we go, oh, no, that's too hard. Go over here and things get worse. We cry out to God and God comes along in his grace and his mercy. So we follow him for a wee while. We pray prayers like, God, if you would, if you would do this for me, I'll serve you forever. Forever in our language means about two or three weeks. Come on, I'm just being honest this morning. I've been there, I've done that. I still sometimes do that, and so do you. But here's the thing. That kind of living never gets you to the promised land. But here's the problem. You'll never see the promised land. You'll never get to the promised land if you can't see your promised land. And the only way to see your promised land is by hearing the word of God. And I just believe that this year, God wants us to lift up our eyes and see that the world is rich and opportunities that awaits those who are brave enough to see and enter in what God has for us. Listen and obey, because there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey.